Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Raven. Welcome to episode 117 of the podcast for April 5th, 2011. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Samuel Culbert. He's a professor at the UCLA Anderson School of Management. And we're going to be talking about his most recent book called Get Rid of the Performance Review, How Companies Can Stop Intimidating, Start Managing, and Focus on the Results That Really Matter. Professor Culbert's previous book, Beyond Bullshit, revealed how bullshit became the etiquette of choice in corporate communications and showed how to develop the conditions required for straight talk. Smart Money Magazine named this book to its 2008 list of top 10 reads, and it was honored as a finalist for the National Best Book Awards. Dr. Colbert is the winner of a McKinsey Award for an article published in the Harvard Business Review, and he's a frequent contributor in management journals and has authored numerous chapters in leading management-related books, and has also authored uh, really interesting op-ed pieces in both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times in the past couple years, both of which I've linked to on the page for this episode at leanblog.org slash 117. Well, Sam, it's a real pleasure to have you joining us here today on the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you, Mark. So before we talk about your book and some of the details there, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself to the listeners, um, your academic background and, and other experience that you have. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in systems engineering from Northwestern. I have a PhD in clinical psychology from UCLA. And I have a, uh, a postdoc, two years uh, working in organization development at the NTL Institute in Washington, D.C., and I've been teaching management for the last uh, uh, long time, Mm. and I consider the world of work my clinical laboratory. That's where I perform my action research, which means looking at topics that interfere with people being their best and talking with individuals that are... Uh, stuck in these issues, and first to understand their experience and then to enlist them as co-investigators with me, talking about trying to figure out what about the protocols that they're following get in the way of them accomplishing the interpersonal and technical work that they need accomplished and what might be done to um, 
make things go much better. And I go off into my intellectual uh, cave and deconstruct the variables that we identify as part and parcel of uh, the processes and formats that they're following to see, again, to analyze what's in the way and what needs to be done to fix the system so that, as, so that they can work effectively the way they want to. I take a systems approach as much as I take a clinical approach because I don't want to just fix things for one individual who's having a, a specific and categorical difficulty. I want to make the system work for all people and people and, you know, to, to make, again, my, uh, uh, my overarching goal is to help people be effective and be their best the way they can and maybe in the process teach people how to act like human beings in the workplace and make the world of work fit for human consumption or more fit. Yeah. Now, from reading your articles and a little bit in, in your book, I certainly agree with you that one of those things that gets in the way of people doing their best is the annual performance review. So I'm curious, first, if you can tell us how you came to deconstruct that or discover that um, as a theme, and then to, to tell us some of your thoughts on um, why that's such an important issue. I wrote my first published paper on the topic of performance reviews 30 years ago, published it in, in the now defunct Wharton uh, Management School magazine. And uh, because performance reviews made, <laughs> are so biased and they're presented as being objective. Then recent, more recently, I wrote a book on the topic of bullshit and street talk at work. Mm -hmm. And thinking about how to publicize that book, I thought, what's the biggest bullshit practice taking place in management today? <laughs> and uh, the idea of performance reviews just leapt out at me because performance reviews <laughs> are justified on, on many grounds, but none of the grounds hold water when they're looked into more deeply. So performance reviews, in my mind, are a dishonest, fraudulent uh, practice carried out, justified on grounds I have no idea, never hold any water, and, and they work against everybody. They make bad, <laughs> they allow the companies to be exploited by bad managers because nobody wants to talk about the, the, the bad behavior of people who have the power and authority to, to control their careers. And, and it makes it difficult for good managers to be good because it makes it impossible for people to talk authentically and honestly about what's going wrong that they see, or even their own limitations and difficulties and the, and the additional resources they need in order to be competent. So you've got a practice that is bogus at its roots because it pretends to be objective. It's not objective. It pretends to be the way the company sees you. Get a different boss, you're going to be seen differently. 
It's, uh, they use metrics that have nothing to do with what people have in mind when they take action in the company. That's not what the people are. People don't think along the line as if the same metrics make sense for any human being. People don't even define the metrics the same way. Is an individual a team player or, or a conflict avoider? And what does it mean to be a team player? Well, it means one thing if you've got a boss who insists on loyalty, and it means something else if you've got uh, a, a different kind of boss, a boss who uh, seems to have some ability to talk straight and honest and can't because you're not going to speak up and possibly put your own promotion or your pay or your just your basic employment at risk. It's, anyway, I can't think of a more bizarre protocol that takes place in companies today. And, 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 and the managers, the top-tier managers, doing nothing if, uh, to uh, change their practices. Now, in, in your articles, I mean, some of the words I jotted down um, that I didn't hear you say yet, um, sham, facade, immoral, corporate theater, that's intimidating. Um, now, tell, you know, you give us just one example, the listeners, or maybe you want to talk about things not being objective. I remember one company I worked for where, you know, the bosses would claim up and down all day long that, well, because it was, because there was a number associated to each of us each year that somehow, you know, my boss used to work, use the word objective when it seemed like he did, you know, with all due respect to him, he didn't understand the difference between objective and subjective. Could you explain or do you see, you know, instances like that where people try to wrap you up in a, a neat score? Is that where people kind of fool themselves into thinking it's subjective? What, what's that dynamic all about? I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I live in a world full of self-interest. And when, uh, in order to give somebody a performance review, you have to pretend that you are, uh, that you have no subjectivity, that you're con- totally conscious of your own needs and inclinations, and that you have no other motive other than to be fair, when in fact, to, it, in order to believe that, you've got to fool yourself. We, we've done the research. The social scientists will tell you people, people like the other people who are just like them. They like them the most. The first, for some people, first impressions are lasting impressions. There's, it's... There's no such thing as objectivity when we're talking about people and their attributes and their ways of operating. There may, there's things like objectivity when, when there's countables being manufactured, then we know. But this is it's ridiculous just to pretend that somebody is objective in a subjective world. And the world of work is even more bizarre than that because... Well, we know that everyone pursues the self-beneficial and is uh, and has personal and subjective taste and situations from the past that haunt them, and that all we have are people who are imperfect and flawed. Uh, we have to pretend like what we're doing is 
primarily and exclusively good for the company, and to go up front and say, to talk about your subjective or self-interested beliefs is to get yourself discredited. Mm -hmm. It's too dangerous, so people pretend. People pursue the self-interested in an environment where they, uh, where they're very, uh, (laughs) where they're constantly making choices about doing things in a way that's good for them, even choices that benefit the company. Because if you, if you can play to your own strengths, you can do your best possible job for the company. But to pretend that this is objectively the only right way to go rather than the particular way I can, I can be my most effective, then again, that's pretense. It's baloney. It's, it's bullshit. <laughs> now, that, let me try to you know, paraphrase back some of what I was reading in your articles. Um, it sounds like you're making the case that performance reviews aren't just a matter of, you know, being unfair to employees, but it seems like you make the argument that they're just flat-out bad for the company's performance. Terrible for the company. Can can you elaborate on that thought? Well, first, as long as we have performance reviews, what's first and foremost in the the employee's mind? Is it doing what's going to get him or her a higher score, or is it holding out to do what's best for the company? Mm -hmm. Enter organization politics. The way, <laughs> the way to get a good performance review is to please your boss. Now, what does my boss want? We don't have a uh, – and bosses are just like employees. They, they have faults. They're flawed. They have difficulties. They have difficulties with some – maybe even difficulties with an employee outshining them in a uh, situation. So now – Further screwing things up is we're not even rating employees. We're rating people in relation to other people, and we and we have to look for their faults, not their their best suits, because uh, pay is constrained, uh, evaluations are constrained. So, uh, you know, the scale that Jack Wells introduced that is just uh, I find an abomination. Uh, uh, 20% excellent, 70% some form of average, 10% put on notice they have to be uh, replaced. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you like being called average? <laughs> 70 to 80% of people in this format get to be called average. Well, I'm, I've never been a fan of the old, you know, get rid of the bottom 10% rule. Um, because I, I would agree, you know, part of what I read you saying is that instead of the boss being just a critic, that the manager should take on the role of coach. And instead of just judging successful, unsuccessful, average, that it's manager's job on an ongoing basis to help everybody be successful. Absolutely. It is not how the boss got to, the manager's job got to be grading people on personality attributes instead of helping each and every employee bring in the results that the company needs and doing whatever is necessary to get those results and talk about uh, what we need fixed or changed or what we learned in the process after the results are in, not, not 
uh, after disappointing results are in and having to bank uh, their cr criticisms and stand back while the employee screws up so they'll have something to talk about during the performance review time. Now, one thing you wrote that I was insightful is that, and I think this came along the phrase of what you said was corporate theater, that the performance review is more about creating the story that justifies why somebody gets a particular pay raise, which is more than likely just market-driven. Is that is that reading you correctly? You're reading me very correctly. And and it's more corrupted even than what you talked what you mentioned. Right. Because in addition to that, it's not even what a guy deserves. We don't have a meritocracy. It's a political issue. The, the boss sits down with his or her boss and they make an agreement. And now and after the fact they have they construct the review that they're going to give the employee to justify that uh, that raise or non-raise and it's it's the it's the tail wagging the dog again the boss's job is, is not to create uh, illusion it shouldn't be that way but in the end all of this fraud all of this dishonesty all of the deceit and pretense under minds the most important management tool any boss, supervisor, anyone possibly has at his or her disposal, which is a trusting relationship. So because of all the doublethink and, uh, and put-downs and indignities and calling attention to people's flaws, without even understanding what the people's assets are, because of all this, you, it's very hard to get what your most important thing you need is a, is a relationship with sufficient trust that the employee can talk candidly about his or her difficulties and what, and what needs to be added in the way of resources for him or her to perform effectively. And and without a trusting relationship, you you can't uh, talk online about what's going wrong and fix it before it's a conclusion. Now you talk about you know, in, in in your articles the need for ongoing coaching throughout the year to help people be successful. Um, Dr. Deming, you know, who was writing about this thirty years ago. You know, said somewhat uh, pithily, you know, substitute leadership. Um, one, one thing I meant to ask early on, um, since you were writing about this a long time ago, did you uh, meet or run across Dr. Deming, work with him, or is it just coincidence that you were both um, on this uh, this soapbox against performance reviews, the annual performance review? We, we, we took parallel paths for sure. And... Um, and I really, I got to see what he was up to uh, only a few years ago, mm -hmm. despite the fact that I have an engineering background. Right. And then I thought, my goodness, you know, we, we uh, during, this, during the 60s, we must have been in the same room, smoking <laughs> the same stuff. Uh, I think he was over in Japan a great deal, uh, working with right. companies over there. But um, in, in the few minutes we have left, I want to turn towards, That's you know, maybe... Why he was in Japan? 
He was in Japan because the people here wouldn't listen to him. Exactly. Maybe I should go to Japan. <laughs> you may have a more receptive audience than he had in the Wall Street Journal comments section with your uh, most recent article. No, that's not true. Uh, Wall Street Journal, I heard, in response to my article and my web, and the blogs that came in, over 85% of the people uh, uh, liked what I was saying. I found that people are just as likely to dislike giving reviews as they are to receiving them. And, and it's uh, people... Look at HR. HR spends so much time uh, going after managers who are late in giving their reviews. Yeah. But and don't get me on HR because there's a few problems there too when yeah. we start talking about performance reviews. They become the police. Mm. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you corrected my bad assumption then on the uh, Wall Street Journal comments because I, I think I was unfairly painting my fellow readers as – uh, a bunch of reactionary Jack Welch worshippers that would have just defended uh, the existing system. But I see what you mean that, I mean, it's an unpleasant process, but I, I've heard it rationalized and described as, um, well, you know, it's it's the worst system except for all the others, you know, to paraphrase um, you know, and, similar expressions. And it's dumb. it's dumb because there's such, there's such an easy way to get around it. I mean, so many managers say, well, I don't like it, but it's, I don't know what else to do. But <laughs> And they blow it because there's a lot they can do. And I call it the performance preview, not the review. Mm. I talk about And everybody understands what you should be doing. You should be having these open, candid conversations. But in order to hold those conversations, you've got to rearrange the politics inside the company. And that's and 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 that begins with getting rid of reviews, getting rid of the of the uh, weapon that managers have that create the fear and intimidation that cause people not to want to talk candidly and openly about what they're doing. And then you got to change the politics. You got to tell the the manager, look, your job is to help each individual get the most for the company. And in order to do that, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You don't, get, you don't get partial credit for doing things. You get what the employee gets in the way of, uh, of, of a grade. You get the, your grade is how well you do in making sure that the company gets what it needs to get from each and every employee. And now you create a, a, a process where the manager can get the kind of information she or he needs in order to get the most from the company, help them to learn about one another, and to and because the manager's skin is in the game, you can't screw around and pretend like, well, I told him and he didn't do it or she didn't do it. The manager has to get involved and talk about what do you need from me? In order for to be effective, and uh, and to have and to have no fault discussions about what's going wrong as the employee sees it, if only for the employee to set the manager straight and to explain to the or the manager to set the employee straight and say, you know what, you, I'm glad we had this conversation because there are a few things I believe you have incorrectly. 
and you gotta you gotta make it no no tolerance for surprises. We're not gonna be surprised be, a, after the fact. All important co conversations need to take place, and if they don't take place, you're not gonna bring in the results. And if you don't bring in the results, nobody gets partial credit. Everybody is gonna be on the on the uh, bad list. So is it fair to say that you know, for a manager to spend that time with their employees, that's going to be fairly time-consuming, so they need to be relieved of the pressure of trying to, to if you will, suck up to their boss, <laughs> which is time-consuming. No, in the long run, in the, you're, you're right. You're right that it's time-consuming to start with because they haven't been doing it. Yeah. There's too much knowledge they have to learn. But but in the in the long term, if, if, had they been doing in the long term, it's the most efficient and effective way of operating. Yeah. You're not going to have to chase problems. You're not going to have to meet that much because over time, you're going to develop the kind of uh, understanding of one another so that uh, you know, remember management by exception, uh, you know that in a, if the employee needs your help, uh, she or he will ask for it. So when you're not seeing, you don't have to meddle. But you're right. Initially, to build a relationship, a relationship where people can be authentic and open and honest and above board, where, where, where bad politics, and there's always politics, but where bad politics are minimized and people start to have the kind of straight talk relationship that I've been, that I wrote about in the book prior to this one. Uh, people will help one another succeed, and, and the company, that's the only way the company can make out. Now, um, final question for you. Can you talk about examples, either anecdotal or research-based, of companies that have done away with annual performance reviews and as as you predicted, or, or you know, seems intuitive, I, I think to myself and others listening, have seen um, demonstrated performance improvement. What what examples? Um... Second, I published an op-ed in the New York Times, and in it we referred to, would you believe, the Madison, Wisconsin cop shop police department, mm -hmm. who's been without performance reviews prior to the initial research done on them in a book published in the year 2000 and and been continuously without performance review process and has the most colossal teamwork. Apple Computer, as I've been told, did away with uh, performance uh, reviews in the year 2000 when Dan Walker, uh, 2000 was a fabulous year, Dan Walker came in and took over as head of HR there. And uh, but he also wanted to hold people accountable and 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 put in uh, uh, demands that every uh, department uh, come up with a plan for making sure that people learned from their mistakes and individuals grew and there was career growth and their leadership was being fostered. And uh, as I get it from Dan, many of the departments reverted back to performance reviews 
their engineering minds and their uh, rational uh, linear reasoning, ignoring the fact, as we've been talking about, that subjective issues are always in play. So uh, I think that from, now Apple doesn't never publicly talks about its internal practices, but I believe that they've got a hybrid where some divisions or departments or work units have it and others don't. Anyway, this is not that rare. It is. Uh, it's. I get inquiries all the time, and uh, many many organizations uh, are dropping the review process, and we just have to reach critical mass when companies start to smarten up. But I do want to have, I have one caveat, and the caveat is a lot of companies try to pretend that there's a good review process, and the only thing wrong with reviews is that uh, they're not done appropriately, they're not done right. And, and my last my last book was called was titled uh, Beyond Bullshit: Straight Talk at Work. And I'll tell you those uh, when you look at the words, the words may be nice, and the conversations may be flattering, but as long as you've got one-sided, boss-dominated. Uh, employee-only accountable relationships, you don't have the kind of teamwork and trust that will ever allow employees to, uh, to be straight and to serve the company and have dialogue with uh, knowledgeable managers about how we can how we can better work together. What's our unique chemistry to make this company uh, uh, to give this company the kind of results it needs? You're mentioning of Deming before, where he and I were our uh, long lost uh, cousins. He believed, and of course I do too, that in any system, you start rewarding one kind of behavior more than another, and you stop and you don't look at individuals doing things their unique way, that the people, that what you're going to do is you're going to get people who are winning on the evaluation system with the, with the metrics that are being used. You're going to get them defending those metrics to, and, and not allowing companies to learn, to, to learn from their experience and grow and change and modify practices as they need to be. Well, I think we'll have to leave it um, on, on that point and a fine point you make, Professor Culbert, um, author of the books um, Beyond Bullshit and most recently Get Rid of the Performance Review, How Companies Can Stop Intimidating, Start Managing, and Focus on What Really Matters. Uh, really enjoyed talking with you today, and thanks for taking time to share your thoughts with the listeners. Well, it's my pleasure, Mark, and I hope that uh, some of your listeners go to my website, performancepreview.com, where they can read the first chapter of the book and maybe get turned on and want to get uh, read the entire thing. Well, I hope so. So um, thanks again for taking the time today. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.